Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 35 of Vague Zone. I am Daniel. I'm Thomas. And today we are stepping away from the usual format of the show. We are not going to be discussing a movie franchise. Instead, we are going to be focusing on three of the movies that are nominated for the Academy Awards Best Picture. Yes. Um, yeah. So, Thomas, what, what are these three movies that we're, we're talking about this week? So we've covered two of the nominees in the past. We've covered Judas and the Black Messiah, and I'm blanking on the other one off the top of my head. Um, what, do you remember? Uh, the Sound of Metal. The Sound of Metal. So we've covered those two, and so there's six left. And so I was interested in Minotti, and I really wanted to watch it. And then, you know, while we were, me and Daniel were having this discussion, we're like, you know, might as well let's just throw in these other ones too. Let's just watch all of them because yeah. the Academy Awards are coming up. I think it's going to be a really interesting Academy Awards. And so, yeah, I chose Minotti, the... The Trial of the Chicago 7 and The Father as the first three we're going to watch. And The Father yes. was kind of a random choice, to be honest with you. I didn't know much about it, but I was pretty interested in The Trial of the Chicago 7. And so, yeah, those are the three. We're going to do a rundown of each of those in a row. So I'm going to start off with the synopsis of Minari. Twenty twelve. Uh, well, real, real oh, quick. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, next week we will be talking about the remainder of the Best Picture nominees. Correct. So our goal is to get through all of them before it's actually time for the awards ceremony. Yeah. So next week it'll be Mank, Nomadland, and Promising Young Woman, which yes. I'm also very excited about. Yeah, I'm really – I'm not that excited about Mank. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I think it looks boring. Uh, definitely interested in the others though. Let's see. Yeah, I think I'm more interested in your opinion of the movie than the movie itself. So I'm excited. But yeah, without it, if any further ado, I'm going to dive in. Minardi 2020, directed by Lee Isaac Chung. A synopsis on IMDb says A Korean family starts a farm in 1980s Arkansas. Short that and sweet. Is so simple. Oh, yes. Very I concise. And so I guess I'll I'm, ask you. That is the movie. <laughs> that is the movie. And yeah, it's good. I was going to ask you what you think about this movie. Uh, so this movie, okay. It, I was really craving like a family drama. We've been watching so many genre films. Yeah. We, we did the Matrix movies. We did. Uh, a bunch of Godzilla movies. <laughs> yes. um, I needed a break. I needed to get away from like superheroes and all this larger than life stuff. Absolutely. To just settle down with a family. Yeah, so I said I was like, really I, good. I need more esoteric, weird stuff. You know, smaller things. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just want to see people living their lives. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it felt like a really nice uh, break from genre cinema. Um, this movie, I was. I remember seeing the trailer and almost being brought to tears. So I was like pretty looking forward to seeing it. Mm -hmm. um, and watching this, I feel like I was kind of overwhelmed with the, the experience of just, you know, what is going to go wrong with this family? We yeah. got, we got, they just bought some new land where they're building a farm. The old owner of the farm uh, commits suicide because they couldn't get anything to grow. Uh, David, the little boy, has heart problems. Yeah. The grandmother is old. Uh, there are snakes. Yeah. There's a tornado. There's like a lot of like, precarious things in that first yeah. like 20 minutes. We're like, wow, this is a very dangerous place. Yeah. Like the, <laughs> uh, the whole house is on wheels and like the house could fly away. And I was like, oh, wait, hold on. Hold on, dad. Like, say that again. <laughs> yeah. Know. It's just like, 
anything could go wrong. So I'm like, fuck, like, <laughs> like this is a family drama. Something is going to go wrong. So the whole time I'm waiting for it. Yeah, they're um, burning their trash, which also was like, mm, this yeah. made me like question. I was like, this it's not going to be good. At this I don't think this is a good decision. It was the 80s. People didn't know what they were doing. Well, well <laughs> when they set it up as like, oh, like the son, like his, he has this issue. We're checking his, you know, checking his uh, blood pressure and, you know, making sure he's okay. And, you know, listening to his heart rate and everything. I'm like, okay, so they're very medically aware. And so when they're out there burning trash yeah. in the corner, I'm like, that's not, you know, someone's going to get a lung or something in something, this movie. Yeah, something bad is going to happen. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, overall, I, I enjoyed the movie. Um, I think it kind of dips into melodrama, especially towards the end. Uh, there's one character that I really don't like in this movie that we can get into. Okay. But um, but yeah, overall, I I I enjoyed it. So so, what did you think? What were your general impressions? Yeah, this was the one I was looking forward to the most, and yeah, I would say I think it is my favorite out of the three that we watched, and it is such a a lush looking movie. It's like a lot of the greens are just really great to bask in, and it has like a lot of really tender moments between this family and. Yeah, I kind of got drawn in from the controversy with the Golden Globes or because it was nominated yeah. for Best Foreign Film, but a lot of people are saying this is... Foreign language. Foreign, sorry, Best Foreign Language Film, when arguably this is the most American film to come out last year, in yeah. the last few years, because this is about the American dream and the plight of Korean Americans trying to survive in the South. Yeah. And yeah, it's just such a touching film, and yeah, there's just so much to love about it. Like, Alan Kim is, is like a delight as like little kid David, and... Yeah, it just wins your heart over immediately by just being like adorable and you know just, but also being mischievous and a little, a little, a little devil sometimes. And so, Very. <laughs> yeah, I love the, like the mix of that and yeah, it just it's a really great film and yeah, definitely like I'm very happy I chose. Um, uh, what do you think of Stephen Young getting the nomination for best actor? I, yeah, I'm I'm absolutely down. I think it's well deserved. I think he puts on a, a really fantastic performance. I know there were some criticisms about you know his Korean and it not being as fluid, but I'm not a native mm. Korean speaker. I wondered about that. Yeah, and so it it didn't stick out to me. Obviously, there might be Korean uh, people in the audience who are like, you know, that was like not right or whatever. But yeah. I think it was solid. I think it's a really subdued performance of you know this. His dad was literally just, you know, he, the moments of him breaking silently and sort of, you know, going and like stealing, taking the water from the government or something like that. Like those little moments were really nice. And yeah, I think he he does a lot of good like facial acting and a lot of the containing it all in the face. And and also the actress that plays his wife is really good. So like, you know, the, the back and forth is just really, yeah. really fantastic. Yeah, I think Stephen Young, he, I think he does a great job here. I don't know if he's going to. I don't know if it's an award-winning performance. Mm -hmm. um, I think I don't think the movie does quite enough to like show off like what he can do as an actor. Um, but yeah, he's definitely you know it's definitely a solid performance. Um, I <laughs> I, agree, yeah. I was talking to Emily about it, and I was like, I almost feel like Alan Kim as David, the little boy, is the lead actor in this movie. I think he gets a little bit more screen time. A little bit, yeah, <laughs> and he has a lot of really good moments too, and. Yeah, like... but but yeah, the the standout performance is Yo, Yo Jung Yoon, who plays the grandmother. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely have to mention her. So fantastic. Fucking, yeah, blown away by that grandmother. I was totally. I I know like the foul mouthed grandma is kind of a trope. Um, it might be played out to some, but I was totally on board with it. Uh, I loved her dynamic with 
with David and with the mom and yeah. Yeah, and it, it's sold. I think it's also sold by just like the character moments of just selling who she is, like her bringing over all these herbs in her bag, and yes. like just like the like the daughter's like crying over like the bag of chili powder. I'm just like I'm 100 percent with was, it. Yeah, I was very emotional during that scene. Yeah, it's so like, good. Just knowing that this woman is being reminded of home in a way that is very sort of simple and it. it I wonder if that's something that was sort of autobiographical um, because it feels like something, it feels like a detail that is very easy for someone to miss when telling this story unless they've experienced it. Yeah, and I think Lee Isaac Chung, he mentioned that this movie, the the proto stages of it just started off as a collection of memories and like yeah. he started off with just compiling memories and then just turned that into a screenplay. And yeah, I think... Moments like that, yeah, just a very solid, concrete detail, and it just goes to show that, yeah. And same with like going to church and the like the little girl being like, "I'm gonna say some words and just stop me when I get to your language." And I'm just like, "Oh shit!" Like that's like the most oh, adorable, boy. racist yeah. little moment I've ever seen on camera. <laughs> just like just starts just like rattling off like just all those epithets and, and until she gets to accidentally gets to a Korean word. I'm just like, that's one of those things that's yeah. like you have to live through that. <laughs> like you can't just like you know pull that out of nowhere, and so. I feel like it's a lot yeah. of just like it's actual memories the, the little racism that you just kind of put up with as a kid because mm -hmm. you did like it's like this is uncomfortable but how do i call this out and it's also like the other kid doesn't there's there's no it's not a malicious act on yes, behalf yeah, of yeah. the the white kid <laughs> like they're just they're just dumb <laughs> yeah it's uh, that, that thing of like i'm going to children I'm, are dumb like i'm trying to relate this is like i'm trying to be like you know meet you on your level and but they don't yeah. they don't have that you know they're young they don't have a filter they do not understand the complexity of you know saying someone's face is flat and how you know i, yeah. I was telling i was talking to my bandmate i was like i remember having a conversation just like that in school when a, a classmate made a comment about you know uh, uh, towards that lines and it was just like the whole classroom had to stop and we had to have like a really serious conversation i'm just yeah. like yeah so this is fucking american this is as american as it gets and so yeah this is a must watch and so good and i wanted to ask you one thing what did you think about the religious themes of this movie because i think it was I, it was sort of subtle at first but then there were some moments like in the creek and the minari uh, scenes where i thought they were hinting at some more like actual religious themes with some particular shots. I just wanted to see if that with, stuck out to you. Um, yeah, I, I'm not totally sure what, like, was it like the snake? Like, well, I, like, I wasn't really fixed on any religious imagery. Really. Yeah, they, like, the, well, the, the whole plot about, like, you know, the family using the church as, like, a means to help get involved in the uh, in the culture in and, the community. Assimil and help, yeah, yeah. In the community and help assimilate, basically. And through the movie, like I t interpreted like all the creek scenes and like the where the Minari patch is as like a Garden of Eden, like or like mm. and also like a lot of bi Bible allegories and also just like life and everything. Because one of the big spoilers of this movie is uh, the character David has like this heart condition and he, all all the movie uh, his dad Jacob's like don't run, don't run, David, don't mm -hmm. run. And so he's like that's like the entire running thing about this character. And at the end, he has this moment where. The grandma sort of sort of lost it a little bit and sort of walking and he had this little powerful moment where he runs up to her and yeah um it's sort of implied that after the grandma has the stroke it's like she sort of takes on that i don't know whatever david has sort of gets resolved and is sort of sort of to dissolve and go away like he's getting healthy and the grandma sort of wakes up and she is in, in the hospital she has a stroke 
And I, I yeah. sort of interpreted the creek scenes as like a circle of life type of thing where there's a shot where it's like David playing in the water on one side and it's the grandma playing in the like Minari patch on the other. And it's just like purely like it felt very uh, there's a lot of symmetry in that shot. And then there's like obviously the snake. There's mentions of Garden of Eden. And then there's like a shot of David like kind of yeah. dropping the rock. And I was like, oh, is that like a David and Goliath thing? And I, I don't know. I just yeah, thought, maybe the fact his name is David is, <laughs> is yeah, relevant. Yeah. And so as as I was watching, I was like, hmm, it seems like the director might be making a few more connections to the Bible or Christianity. And I, I, I just thought that it added another layer to just what makes this movie, you know, worth delving into. And yeah, I don't know. Religion does have sort of an odd role in it because it is like, so. so there's also... Just, just with the church, this idea that oh, we should go to like a Korean church, and they're talking to some of their coworkers at the chicken sexing uh, factory or whatever. I don't know if it's a factory. What would you call that? <laughs> uh, plant. Yeah, like a plant, um, or uh, not because it's not quite a slaughterhouse. It's not. It's not. Yeah. It's like I don't know. Uh, but yeah, one of the women says, "Oh, we we don't want to go to a Korean church. Like we moved." out here to get away from Korean church or something like that. Mm. And then we also have the character of Paul, which I'm not a fan of. I feel like every time Paul is on screen, I'm kind of begging for the movie to change focus. But um, he is a very religious man. He yeah. he practices religion outside of the norm. He carries a cross through town and stuff like that. Another, um, yeah. <laughs> very and, heavy, heavy Christ image. <laughs> yeah, and he... He really takes to the family, especially to um, Jacob. Jacob, come on. Yeah, a lot of religious names. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. And the rest of the town, they go to church. You know, they practice religion the way you would uh, sort of expect religious, religion to be practiced here in the States. And the, the town doesn't quite click with them the same way. Um, so maybe there's something, something to that, too. So you like? Did you not like the character Paul because of the presence he I had? I don't in the like movie? the perf I don't like the performance. Not I don't yet. like. Okay, it's it's just too much that character. Um, I, okay, fair yeah, enough. I I, yeah, <laughs> I think. I mean, I feel like that's some that's kind of authentic for the territory, or at least that's what they're yeah. that's what they're going for. Just like they might have dialed it up a little a little bit much to the. To the fact of like, yeah, I have no doubt that these this character is out there, but uh, Absolutely, yeah, it was yeah. just too much for me. Yeah, it's like the fact that he's dragging the cross as his church every Sunday. I think that's a little on the nose when there's other far more like the things I just mentioned are far more subtle references to like the circle of life or Garden mm -hmm. of Eden or stuff like that. But yeah, him literally dragging the cross down the road every day is a little like a little much. Yeah, but yeah, I think yeah, I, don't know, I was sort of fine with it. I. I appreciate the conversation that is sparked between Jacob and David of Jacob being like, we're smart. We practice science. We do things with our mind and, you know, yeah. Americans, they're dumb, you know, like, and I, I really appreciated that because like, yeah, that's a little bit more of a taste of how the parents raise the care, the, uh, their kids differently. And another thing, mm -hmm. I, like a little detail I notice is when he's like teaching him something or that when they're teaching the daughter something who also doesn't get enough screen time in this movie, I think she yeah. got a little outshined, but they're, when they're teaching something, they're like, ask a question and they sort of lead the child to the the conclusion a little bit. And I always, I like, I just like that way of writing. And I, I appreciate that instead of just them telling them something, they would be like, well, what would happen if, you know, like the, and so and so happened. And I just like, they, they always framed it as a question to sort of lead the, the kids to it. And, I don't know. I just like those little character details. 
um, there's one scene, there's one cut that really stood out to me in the movie where I even like, I, I didn't watch it with Emily, but she got home and I like had to, I had to like explain to her like the backstory behind this like one edit because I okay. really liked it. Um, so there's a moment in the film where Jacob has, he's like lost a customer. He, he, he had a sale figured out and now they are selling to someone, uh, or, um, now the people who are going to purchase his produce are purchasing from someone in California. Yeah. He's really frustrated and he kind of like blows up. Um, he starts like kicking boxes and yelling and he wanders into the field and he says, I got to go to work. Um, so early in the movie, we, I should have started with this <laughs> early <laughs> in the movie. Uh, we, they are working at this chicken sexing plant where they have to separate the male chickens from the, from the female chickens. And, uh, Jacob is sitting outside with David, his son, and there's smoke rising from a pipe. And um, Jake, uh, David asks, like, what's that smoke? And Jacob explains that, oh, you know, male chickens, they don't taste very good and they don't lay eggs, so they're less desirable. They, they have less value. So they get rid of them. Um, and so that's what the smoke is. You know, they're, they're destroying these male chickens. They're killing these male chickens. And so he tells David, that's why, like, male chickens, they don't provide value. That's why we got to work extra hard. You know? Yeah. That's why we got we to gotta really step up our game sort of thing. So later in the movie, when we have this scene of Jacob blowing up because he's lost a customer, uh, and he wanders into the field and says, I got to go to work, the next thing we cut to is smoke rising out of that pipe. <laughs> so, huh. yeah, he is, so it, it is he is not pulling his weight as a man, like is what that is sort of reflecting on. And I, for me, that was like, as soon as we cut to that smoke, I was like, fuck, <laughs> like, like that is pure cinema. Like that is like pure visual storytelling. Oh, that's um, amazing. I need to go back. It was so, really fucking good. Dude. Yeah, that, that's so good. <laughs> I didn't put that connection together, but yeah, cause it's a nice little moment early on in the film. Cause he's, he's like, out there on a smoke break, you know, they like set up the fact that he's like the fastest chicken sexer, you know, on this side, yeah. of, this side of the West or whatever. And so he's just like, he gets done super fast and then he's out smoking and Dave is kind of like playing around. He's like, stop running, David, come back over. And he, and he gives him this like, this like tender little thing of like, that's why we have to like work harder. Right. And so yeah. And then, yeah, it's like a nice little moment, but like, I don't know, satisfying that towards the end and the tail end of the movie in the third act is, is like, yeah, it's an attribute to this, like, and then, the brilliance of and, this movie. And <laughs> we're talking about smoke. Like, then we yeah. go to how this movie ends. And yeah. It's like everything he has invested himself into goes like we're, we're in spoiler territory. Absolutely. Everything he invested himself into goes up in flames. Um, and so, yeah, how did you so how did you feel about this this ending? Because bef before the fire, we have this hospital scene where he's talking to uh, Monica's wife and he basically tells her like, you can take the kids, you can do whatever, like, because he's so fixated on this farm. Like he needs the farm to work out. He's invested so much as, of himself into it. He can't accept failure. Yeah. And if it does fail, like he's telling her like, take the kids, you know, we can divorce, like go, go do what you need to do to take care of the kids. Um, and so it feels like he he's choosing the farm over his family, and that's how Monica feels, and I feel like that's how I felt. Mm -hmm. um, so at that point, I was like, he he can't he can't have a win. The movie can't end with him getting a win. Um, 
so I, I'm not totally sure how I feel about this ending with the fire and the family kind of coming together. Uh, I don't know. What, what, it, how did how did you feel about the ending? I think I was okay with it because since most of this movie, like we've mentioned before, is filled with so much uneasiness that I, it sort of had to be relieved in one way or another. And mm-hmm. for me, I was just so attached to everyone in this movie that like, I didn't want any of these characters to die or get hurt or anything yeah. bad to happen. And so when the grandma sort of inadvertently starts the fire, you know, but it's like a callback to you know, the, the burning of the trash and it goes out of control and can't really do much, you know, and so it catches on fire. And there's a moment right before in that parking lot scene outside of the grocery store when he does make the sale and he like he does get what he wants and the guy is yeah. down for it. But the wife is like, we're done. Like, we're like, you chose the yeah. farm and she's like breaking down in tears and like she just wants they just want to be together essentially and i forget exactly the way they word it but they basically no she just they want to save each other so it satisfies that so yeah they literally save they literally save each other and you know the the sort of their american dream literally burns down and they they can they have just like a small patch of life in that little in their their little eden and so i was okay with it i think yeah it's i think i was just sort of fine with just like how simplistic the, the symbolism is in that situation where you know it all goes up in flames, but they quite literally have each other at the end. And it, I also like the throwback to when they first move into the space and Jacob says, like, hey, let's all sleep on the ground together. And they're like all mm-hmm. just arguing. And yeah. so that doesn't happen until, you know, after the spire and everything happens, this traumatic event. Yeah. And so when they've learned what is actually important. Yeah. Like, so or when he has learned what is that? Because I feel <laughs> yeah. like Monica has been on the right side. This yeah, whole totally. Time. Yeah. And she's badass uh-huh. for rushing into the fire and saving the plants. And so, yeah, it's just like, I, yeah. I don't know. I think. I, I might have to mull over it a little bit more, but yeah, I like f- first impression. I, I enjoyed it and I was okay with it. And, yeah. yeah. Um, something else, this movie there, there, another moment in this movie that I kind of fixated on was early in the movie. There's this argument between Monica and Jacob about how, you know, they've packed up everything. They've moved out here into where are they? Are they in Arkansas? Where? Yeah. They? They're in Northern Arkansas. Um, to, to buy this, questionable farm where the previous owner killed himself um and there's tornadoes and all this shit yeah. <laughs> um, so they're having this argument uh basically about their financial future um and the kids go off into the back room and they start making these paper planes and writing like don't please don't fight on the paper planes or whatever mm-hmm. and it really i don't know that part really broke my heart like just thinking about how poverty fucks people up like how like being poor fucks people up because these parents are how like if these parents weren't in poverty if they weren't struggling financially they wouldn't be fighting yeah and so these kids just grow up seeing their parents fight and so what sort of behaviors are normalized there uh in terms of how these kids come to understand uh relationships between men and women um and the movie doesn't really like meditate on that too much. Uh, but it was just something that I couldn't help but get sort of emotional about. Because if you're making a movie about the American dream, like that is generational trauma is part of that that story. Yeah, absolutely. I think one way it sort of touches on that is the whole thing about like when kids are growing up in an environment like this a lot of growing up fast is what happens. And I think the yeah. way that this movie manifests that is when David opens up the drawer and it falls on his foot. And so he's like, they're bleeding and he's like screaming. And then like 
mom, the grandma comes in and fixes it, and then he mm-hmm. gives him the whole speech of like, no one's ever called you a strong boy. Like you're a strong boy. Yeah. She like gives him he this pep talk. Back. Yeah, yeah, and then, like he put the drawer back, and it's this whole thing of like, you know. Oh, I think that was, such, that was a really relatable moment for me because I was just like, fuck, like I've been in moments where like I've been hurt and I have to like sort of fix the thing first and then mm-hmm. address, you know, the issue. And so like those little small moments of strength when you're like a, a kid and you just kind of lift the bike, lift, lift the bike up and get home that type of shit. And so, yeah, I, I thought that was really touching. And yeah, I, I think that sort of goes along with what you're just saying. Mm, yeah. Powering through the pain. That's making me yeah. emotional just thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, this movie's <laughs> fucking so good. I need to watch it again before my rental period goes up. Yeah, any um, other thoughts about it before we... Because we said we are going to do like 20, 30 for each one. So yeah, I think gonna... we're going to... So for listeners, we're trying to do 20 minutes for each movie so that we can keep this episode, uh, you know, listenable. <laughs> keep it keep it rolling. And keep it rolling, uh, rolling. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab another beer before we do Chicago 7. All right. So next up is The Trial of the Chicago 7, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin and starring a lot of people. On solid. Uh, <laughs> so the IMDb synopsis is the story of seven people on trial stemming from various charges surrounding the uprising at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago, Illinois. Thomas, what did you think of The Trial of the Chicago 7? Oh, man, I have quite a few thoughts i thought this movie was a mess i think it's trying to do a commendable thing for telling this story which i think is a a really valuable story in terms of the frames of civil rights but ah man like i don't know if aaron sorkin should direct movies because like the i think the tone is a little all over the place on this one and even from the start of like like playing like rock music to the footage of like civil rights leaders being assassinated and just they're playing it real fast and loose. Yeah, pretty with, cringy. Yeah, they're playing it real fast and loose with the history on this one too. And on, to be honest, I watched all three of these movies in a triple feature just back to wow. back to back yesterday. So I didn't really have much time wow. to do a deep dive on this particular case. And as I was watching, I was like, yeah, like two hours there's no way yeah two hours (laughs) two hours is not enough time to like tell the story respectfully and you know not even like a a weekend of research is enough and so it's it's uh it's crazy i was looking forward to it i like the trailer i like sasha baron cohen i like aaron sorkin but the sum of everything is just it's just all over the place good villain though great villain but yeah that what did you Uh think about it uh, I thought this movie was horseshit. <laughs> um, I fucking hated it, man. Yeah. I was so mad the entire time. Um, <laughs> yes. Wait, I'm like, with it. the way I, I described this to, to Emily, I was like, this is... Okay, so you know the experience where you're taking a shower and you are you have an argument in your head, you have an imaginary argument with someone mm-hmm. and you're thinking of all the perfect things to say? Yes. <laughs> That's what this movie is, but it's specifically directed to people who have those signs in their front lawns that say, in this house, we believe in science. Like, that's what this movie yeah. is. <laughs> um, it, I, yeah, I fucking, I could, it, it even ends on one of those and then everyone applauded moments. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like partway through the movie, I had to stop it because I was like, there's no fucking way it happened this way. And so, yeah, I, yeah. because, okay, Abby Hoffman is an anarchist and they never mentioned that. Like, yeah, they watered uh, down all of these, these characters and all this are these people. And so, yeah, it's like we're getting caricatures of these actual fucking, you know, revolutionaries. Yeah. And you have an opportunity to compare and contrast the ideologies of these different people and you don't really explore it. We get one scene where it's Tom Hayden arguing with 
uh, Abby Hoffman about tactics, basically about mm-hmm. the cultural revolution versus electoral politics. Um, and that's basically all we get. Like, I, you, if you watch this movie, can you explain to me who the yippies were? <laughs> like, just from <laughs> no. this movie, can you explain what the SDS was? Can you explain? Can you even explain what the Black Panthers were from this movie? Yeah, if you watch um, this movie, you would walk away with the impression that Fred Hampton was a rather sheepish person who, who like walked into courtrooms very nicely and curled up as like all these guys were making a decision. I'm like, this is fucking bad, dude. Like, in like in the same year that we get a fantastic civil rights movie about Fred Hampton with Judas and the Black Messiah, it's like, yeah, this is just like just some. I don't even know. It's just like, yeah, horseshit is a good way to call it. But yeah, I I, I do like Frank Langella as the judge. I think he did a really good job as this actual horrible yeah. judge. Incredibly who, frustrating <laughs> villain, Yeah, like, which it should be. Yeah, and like I didn't know much about this guy, but apparently this judge was 70 years old in the 60s, which is just far, far, far too out of touch to be, you know, yeah. judging for a federal case for like these kids in their 20s who are you know dressing up as judge, judges and cops and making a total mockery of the court and yeah yeah meanwhile it's sort of like this whole thing about fucking american history and how like there's this main uplifting story about like all these white characters and literally the black panthers are a footnote in it and like we have bobby seal sort of just delegated just a couple of like you know a handful of scenes in this movie and it's just yeah it just well, <laughs> this didn't really feel right. I was just like, this just like doesn't feel feel good. It's like I don't know how this got nominated for best picture. I, I can I see why. Dude, but it like... fucking sucked. I don't know how this movie has like the re- the reviews that it has. Like it's getting pretty universal acclaim, and yeah. it's bewildering to me. Um, so I did some homework on the Kate. Like I don't know thoroughly the Kate, the the trial of the Chicago Seven, but yeah, like, well, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. I did a little bit of homework, and I think one of the most offensive things about this movie where this is, like, heinous to me. Like, I can't fucking comprehend... It feels fucking evil that this movie did this. Is So the movie ends... Spoiler alert, I'm spoiling the end of this movie. <laughs> the movie ends with Tom Hayden standing up, and uh, the judge says, oh, if you're, if you're brief and you're uh, polite or whatever and apologetic, then I will take that into consideration with your sentencing. And so Tom Hayden says... Like, he kind of repeats that back to him. Like, oh, you want me to be brief? You want mm-hmm. me to be apologetic? Okay, here's He's what like, I'm yes, going to do. Yeah, yeah, I'm going yeah. to read the names of the American soldiers who have died in Vietnam. Like, And so he reads, like, almost 5,000 names or something like that. Yeah. In reality, uh, first off, it wasn't, it, was, it wasn't Tom Hayden. Not a big deal. It was David Dellinger, who was, like, one of the other uh, defendants. Another character in this deal. movie. <laughs> um second detail they get wrong it didn't happen at the end of the trial the way it does in the movie it happened earlier in the trial not not a huge deal but the heinous thing the really fucking evil thing is when they did read those names they included the names of the vietnamese people who had been killed oh. this movie doesn't include that Holy which shit. is a spit in the face of all of these defendants and everything that they were about in trying to stop the vietnam war these people were allied with the Vietnamese. They were sympathetic to the Vietnamese. They had solidarity with the Vietnamese. At one point, Yo, they had wild. the American yeah. flag and the Vietnamese flag draped in front of them in yeah. the courtroom. And this movie leaves that out. Um, because this movie is it's liberal bullshit. Where it's like, it doesn't want to... Like, this movie has Abby Hoffman saying that he believes in the institutions of power, but that the wrong people are leading those institutions the wrong people are seated in power then meanwhile the real abby hoffman 
what he believed was the way you make sure that the wrong people don't end up in the seats of power is to get rid of the seats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. that you don't have to have this lesser of two evils bullshit that we have every four years. Yeah, And instead, up. we have him saying, every four years, we we uh, overthrow our government peacefully. Like, like he's some uh, uh, guy who's super into electoral politics. Like, this movie is fucking bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Two things. It also, it does, it does the very soft-handed pitch thing where it's like, we're going to show you both sides. And so we like, we stick, we stick around with Joseph Gordon-Levitt for a good amount of this movie. He's, you know, he's like, oh, I'm kind of on the fence about doing this. But before I, I dive into that, I was watching an interview with Aaron Sorkin and he's like, yeah, it's like, I want this movie to be about now. But he, has, he also said that he doesn't want it to be a history lesson. But I was just like, you're telling Why are you a making this movie? Yeah, it's like you're telling a story about real people, real events, real pain, real bloodshed. It, it, it has to be you a history lesson. You can make it about now if the if the issues that were relevant then are still relevant now, which they are. Yeah, Like absolutely. they were protesting the Democratic National Convention because they wanted a candidate who was against war, but the Democratic establishment got behind a pro-war candidate. Is yeah. that not relevant now? Yeah, seriously. Like, fucking A. Like, uh, yeah, it really severely missed the mark. And yeah, I mean, even from like the jump, it, like, it gives me kind of those really weird goosebumps of like, this is going to be a bad affair. It starts off with this really like heavy handed, like soulful, like, you know, like, you know, somber soul, like, you know, with, I guess civil rights music or whatever like that. And just, yeah, it's just incredibly indulgent in all of the wrong things. And yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's really tough. And yeah, there's like some bad cuts in it too. And it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's it's just, uh, yeah, not good. <laughs> yeah, so so you mentioned the prosecutor. He paints the prosecutor positively, making it seem like he's, you know, a good guy who's sympathetic to the defendants, but he's just trying to do his job. Yeah. Meanwhile, in reality, the prosecutor was a vicious, he was described as a bulldog. Mm -hmm. um, he was a piece of shit. And uh, Bobby Seal, who we've talked about, barely got... Too much screen time. Um, there's a moment in this movie where he has an outburst in court because Fred Hampton has just been assassinated by the FBI. Which didn't um, happen at that time. Yeah, it didn't it happen at that time. It happened months later. Um, and by... Ha uh, okay, so so here's what here's what happened. Bob, Bobby Seale was having outbursts in court because he didn't have legal counsel. Um, and the judge refused to acknowledge that. The judge was violating his constitutional rights, basically. Yeah. And so what happened was uh, Bobby Seale, you know, he called the judge like a fascist, a racist, and he was he ended up being bound and gagged for three days mm -hmm. in the movie. Uh, Bobby Seale has an outburst because he's emotionally compromised because his comrade Fred Hampton was murdered um, and he ends up being bound and gagged for a few minutes until the prosecution's gets up to the judge and says, we have to declare a mistrial. Um, so it completely dishonors Bobby Seale by, by framing his, his anger as not justified a, as being directed at the justice system, yeah, yeah. but as being a, a, a response to the death of Fred Hampton. Um, yeah, it's that literally it's the rearranging of the facts to sort of Oh, we're going to make it more dramatic and, you know, sort of adding this layer of unnecessary, this unnecessary connection to this, you know, to yeah. this event. And so it's his, his anger becomes, it's no longer this moral political anger. It is grief. Um, and it's just fucking, I don't know. This movie, yeah, I fucking that, hated this movie. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> the absolute wrong way to sort of approach telling a, a, 
a story with this much magnitude. And like I said, like I didn't even have enough time to faithfully dive into this fucking trial because there's so many aspects going into it and so many players involved that yeah, it's it's very like I don't know, it's it's difficult to approach this in a way that's you know not going to take a ton of time and so do, condensing it into two hours is just is very yeah. very difficult and yeah you people end up people end up as footnotes and yeah I just wasn't into it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean I've I've kind of said, yeah. <laughs> said what I want to say on this one. Uh, performances, what do you think of the performances? <laughs> as a we'll discuss it as a movie rather than as something based on a true story i was going to say i think as much as oh, fucking a as much as like it's bad that all of those history things are like messed up and screwed around i think the movie does mature a bit at the turning point when fred hampton is assassinated and it's just literally the only assassination in the movie that they take seriously because literally like they like mlk and uh jfk uh, no, uh not john kennedy um they have uh Bobby Kennedy, they they mentioned that assassination, but yeah, literally it's like rock music playing in the beginning of this montage, yeah. and so it it feels very uneasy. We get some footage of you know these riots firsthand and seeing students get you know literally get beat by the fucking police, which is awful. And so I think yeah. the movie would have benefited for having more documentary footage and you know connecting more to those actual events. But yeah, just sorry, I think I might have lost my train of thought. But yeah, the, the way they rearranged things just was you know, just. Very but you, you you mentioned police beating people. Another inaccuracy in this movie is there's this this take of the hill moment where the police are up on this hill and the protesters are sort of facing off with them someone yells something the protesters start charging and there's a fight that ensues um the way it really happened i'm pretty i, I i'm pretty sure i encourage our listeners to look into this <laughs> um the protesters already had taken the hill the police showed up and then the police just started beating the shit out of people um, Fuck, yeah. So it completely changes, like, who is responsible. Like, like the movie does acknowledge this was a police riot. Uh, we get Ramsey Clark, played by Michael Keaton, who's the attorney general of the previous administration. He comes in to testify. He clarifies, we did an investigation. This was a police riot. But, um, but yeah, it totally... <sighs> it, it totally reframes the power dynamics of the situation. Mm -hmm. And in that scene, we also get a moment where these like frat dudes are like yelling at this woman who's carrying an, an american flag and she falls to the ground during all this chaos they start sexually assaulting her and yeah. jerry rubin has to run in and to like to save her which apparently none of this happened so it's hmm. like that's fucking weird because it's like why is aaron sorkin throwing sexual assault into this movie yeah that's like that's not something gratuitous. you should do lightly yeah. yeah it's incredibly gratuitous yeah i don't know man and it's also yeah. like what kind of fucking rapist commits a rape <laughs> in a crowd of people that includes cops <laughs> yeah it's just some yeah that's like liberal bleeding heart bullshit moment of like oh he's so good because he's you know he's tough enough to swing on these frat guys and you know cover this girl up and it's yeah it's it's just fucking disgusting it's just it's like because <sighs> Yeah, he wants us to sympathize with these characters, but he can't have us sympathize with them by depicting them who they, as who they were. Because, you know, sh depicting someone as an anarchist who wants to destroy these institutions, that's too much. We can't sympathize with that. Yeah. Because if we sympathize with that, then we'd have to question what is wrong with these institutions. And this movie's not interested in doing that. Yeah, I want to know more about Abby Hoffman because he feels like 
this is the tip of the iceberg of a really compassionate and interesting character and person in history where like he has this like this whole stand-up thing and using comedy as a way of like coercing the left and sort of into believing in like this revolutionary mindset and also being completely radical and just like a total F you to the judge. And apparently that like, you know, he actually was very combative in court yeah. and stuff like that. So like, I want he, more of that. I mean, if Sasha Baron Cohen, why not let him go further down that rabbit hole, you know? Well, I first heard about Abby Hoffman. So there was Steal This Book, which, which the movie acknowledges. He wrote a book called Steal This Book. But he had also done this thing where he got a group of people to throw a bunch of money over the top of the New York Stock Exchange, which mm. led to like people getting in like fist fights and like pushing and shoving each other, trying to grab money. Just so, like <laughs> oh, he wanted goodness. to expose how like vicious all these Wall Street guys were. Um, and so which led to New York spending two, two, $20,000 to install bulletproof glass <laughs> so that no oh, one wow. could uh, do any shit like that. But um, yeah, Damn. he was like a prankster. He described himself as a groucho Marxist. And <laughs> Uh, I believe during this trial, they actually tried to get Groucho Marx to come and testify to explain what satire was. Uh, wow. And, and I, I think he was sympathetic to the defendants, but he he, he didn't make it in, unfortunately. Um, wow. That's the thing is truth is so much more fascinating than fiction. And so for a case like this, like it's good, like I guess it's a good introduction, not even a good introduction, but it's just like a, a very small taste. It just of makes what me this... wish... Yeah. It just makes me wish somebody else made this movie. Well, apparently, this this is like an incredibly Hollywood fucking story. This was Steven Spielberg's idea that he was talking about Sorkin just writing. You know, yeah. this happened right before the writer strike, and then mm -hmm. it kind of just got okay. lost in the fray. And then Sorkin was still interested in telling the story, and so he stepped up to direct it. So, yeah, I think I heard that like Seymour Hoffman was a like gonna be in it at one point or something oh that would have been just... i don't know who he would have been but probably one of the lawyers but, but speaking yeah. of the lawyers he probably would have been the main guy like the main attorney for the, the fed side i think i think he would have been the bulldog mm -hmm. that would have been at least that make, that, that would make sense uh mark rylance is william kunstler uh so the way kunstler is portrayed in this movie he's sort of a you know He's a lawyer. He's sympathetic to the cause. He understands like where these guys are coming from. He smokes weed with them, mm. but um, but in r real life, Kunstler like he defended the Black Panthers. He defended mm. um the Weather Underground. Um, he defended a lot of like radical groups, and yeah. he refused to def ever defend right wingers. <laughs> um, he was sort of like a, a radical lawyer which is really fucking cool. And yeah, it's like, yeah. we don't get any of that in this movie. Um, and it's a shame. Yeah. Like, the, yeah, this movie basically just, it dishonors everyone that it is about, <laughs> except for maybe the judge. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a bummer. It's really tough. Yeah. Um, like I'm okay with people taking liberties with true stories, as long as you're staying true to the spirit of things, but that fucking leaving out the Vietnamese names, that is like the most heinous shit I've ever heard. Yeah such massive part of that narrative yeah it's like it's it's yeah it's very colonial mindset of being like yeah we're going to talk about vietnam and all the you know, yeah. the american soldiers in that part it's like you know vietnam is a place that we fucking brought all of the you know we yeah. brought all that shit there and so massacres yeah yeah real real bad and so I think that's about it for the Toronto, the <laughs> yeah. Chicago 7 anyway i hope you're listening here sort <laughs> <laughs> all right
Now we're going to move on to 2020 film The Father by Florian Zeller. I'm going to read the IMDb synopsis for this. A man refuses all assistance from his daughter as he ages. As he tries to make sense of his changing circumstances, he begins to doubt his loved ones, his own mind, and even the fabric of his reality. It's directed by Florian Zeller. I think I said that twice. So what did you think of The Father? Um, so I didn't really know much about it going in. Um, I think I was kind of, I wasn't really looking forward to it. I was kind of expecting just like a family drama. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had already seen one when I, cause I had much Minari. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but kind of as soon as it started, as soon as it got going, I was very into it. It almost felt like a psychological thriller or something like that with how it was unfolding. Um, I just found it very compelling and, I was expecting this to be a, a honestly I was expecting this to be a movie where I would just look at my phone for half of it and yeah, same. I, I was totally consumed by it. I think Anthony Hopkins is kind of incredible in this. Yeah, um, yeah. Like as soon as the credits rolled, I wasn't I honestly wasn't that impressed, but it's I've been thinking about it all day since watching it. Um Okay. So yeah, it, I I I think it's a fucking great movie. Um yeah, what what did you think? So at the beginning of this, when we were having this conversation and I was looking at the list of movies, my first instinct was it was the one I was least interested in. And the one I was like, mm. whatever, this is just some Oscar bait, you know, some old, yeah, some old, some old, Brit- <laughs> yeah, old British characters being British or whatever. Or, but yeah, what I got was like one of the most tender depictions of like aging and dementia and memory yeah. loss I've ever seen on camera. And you, you sort of put in the driver's seat a little bit when we were hanging out with uh, this uh, the character Anthony and the way that the movie unfolds as you know he's we're, we're sort of with him in this flat and the flat just has tons of doors and corridors and hallways and stuff and as the scenes progress like we're gonna get into spoiler territory like his we meet his daughter and then we meet someone else in the apartment you know and he's very taken aback by why she's there and he like, doesn't recognize her and there's another man that she doesn't recognize and he's getting details wrong and so like things get very very hazy but then the daughter comes back and he sort of gets a little bit more comfortable and there's just like this ebb and flow of just like reality sort of bending yeah. like, not like bending but like him his like mind just not processing the me- the information correctly and it's just like these moments where he's just trying to be as charming and like you know decipher what's happening and it's just like it's he's like holding it tight all together up until the very end and that ending broke me like yeah yeah this i think this became probably my one of my favorite performances out of all of these movies we've seen so far and yeah anthony yeah (laughs) i definitely like master class master level i definitely think he so so i've had friends hit me up and be like oh have you like have you watched the academy award movies um I definitely think he deserves it. I haven't seen uh, the movie Chadwick Boseman is nominated mm-hmm. for. Ma Rainey's Black um, Bottom. But, like, I think this is a fucking phenomenal performance. And, like, I, I so so of the movies we've watched that I, uh, of the best actor nominees that I have seen, I was really rooting for um, Riz Ahmed for mm-hmm. Sound of Metal. Yeah. Um, just cause I like Riz Ahmed, <laughs> like, like his performance is great, but I also just really like him. Um, yeah, totally. but after seeing this, I'm like, I feel like it's gotta be Anthony Hopkins. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I know he's old and he should move out of the way to give someone else a shot. Cause he's been nominated like six times, 
but yeah, <laughs> like, and it's even a fucking me, good performance. I have a lot of conflict too because like I'm a massive Chadwick Boseman fan, and he delivers a fucking phenomenal performance in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I would describe yeah. both him and Viola Davis's performances in that movie to be transformative. They both do things where they are they are just showing you their their range of what they can do, and yeah. you know I, I I think there might be a little bit of like you know white gill silver rice shit with like the the themes of that movie but from as a musician i love that movie and i think that movie is fantastic and shadwick boseman is great but with that said <laughs> anthony, anthony hopkins delivers like a career defining performance yeah here. this and is like him if, like, if, tur- like I, him reverting to like a little kid at the end and be like yeah. just like i want my mommy to come fetch me like you know just like just oh just fucking broke me i was in full-on tears and i was like just like, like damn God forbid Anthony Hopkins dies tomorrow. Please no. <laughs> we would all say, like, he went out with a fucking banger. <laughs> like, yeah. he went out with a great performance. Because <laughs> um, this yeah, is, this like, is like, him meditating on his own mortality. Like, the character's yeah. named Anthony. At one point, he gives his birthday, and it's his actual birthday. Oh, I didn't um, know that. Wow. Yeah. And it... I don't know. I'm, like, so happy that Anthony Hopkins isn't experiencing dementia because this is so fucking sad to watch. Um, yeah, and the way that they the, they do it is such... It's, it's, so it's like the, the way that they weave details in is really nice, and one of my things I want to ask you about is how did you feel about the way that they introduced the whole thing with, like, the younger sister and the painter? Because I feel like a lot a lot of this movie made me believe that... The painter was actually Anne, and Anne was really this fantastic artist. That's what, at least that was my first instinct. I was like, okay. "There's there is no younger sister. He is just you know he's at the point where he's lost it, and he's, he's his details are all wrong, and he's mixing everything up." And so he always talks about this painter, and you know Anne never really quite engages until later we find out that there we is there why, is a younger yeah. sister. Yeah, we find out, and and when like the the new. Uh, doctor sort of lets the details slip and he like tries to ask her about it but she like, backs away from it it's yeah. just like such like a quick brief moment and yeah just like this is the writing Which, is so fantastic and it feels like her reveal of that is for the audience like it's not mm. for like there are moments like that in this movie where it's like okay something is being revealed for the audience it's not i don't know that characters would act this way like i don't know that uh a nurse would insist that he should know his daughter who died. <laughs> like she would probably take a hint as soon as he seemed to not understand that she shouldn't continue <laughs> in explaining or but, just um, like avoid those type of conversations entirely. Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't know. Like there, yeah, this movie does some stuff where it's like people, people, I would imagine people would be more sympathetic or more, gentle and tender with how they treat this person but for the purposes of storytelling they aren't um mm-hmm. but yeah i don't know the the whole sister thing like i think the first time she's mentioned we get this look from um gosh I'm olivia coleman uh that something is wrong <laughs> um that like olivia coleman doesn't want to think about it I think, yeah, it's just so dreamlike. I love the way that once it sort of gets established that, like, he has this thing where, like, you know, there's a lot of things sort of changing from his point of view, and he's just trying to basically just, like, ground himself and sort of just just, just get kind of, like, clarification. 
And one of the ways that that manifests in such a heartbreaking way is characters literally like walking out of the room and he's trying to just like yeah. not let them walk out of Don't the room. Don't let them he's, like, And I'm he's, like, feeling no, for they, him. Yeah, it's like if they leave the room, they're going to take the context with him and then like, yeah. you know, the camera will sort of like, grounded. yeah, the camera will ease in on Hopkins as he's sort of going on the soliloquy talking about the details of something and then he'll turn around and then like the character will change or something will just be totally different. And yeah, it's just, it's such a heartbreaking movie and it totally took me by surprise and I was... Yeah, this is just such a like such a nice artistic little depiction of this really yeah, this really soft side of what humans go through. And I think when you mentioned yeah, Anthony Hopkins uh, reflecting on his own mortality, I didn't really even think about that aspect of it with the character name and the, the birthday thing. So that just makes it even sadder. Yeah. And like it's interesting to me that the whole movie, almost the whole movie is told from Anthony's perspective. We do get mm-hmm. little glimpses that are told from uh, Anne's perspective. So like we get like a scene where she's imagining uh killing her own father and like strangling yeah. him. And her husband is driven to the point of, you know, elderly abuse, which is terrible. Yeah. But like those two moments highlight the toll that it takes on the family having to deal with the burden. Um, no one wants to be a burden, but people are burdened. Um, yeah. And, like, they lose patience. Um, it's because their their ability to live a quote-unquote normal life is inhibited. Um, and, yeah, it's like you really feel... F- I I feel feel for that. Like, and, and the, like the husband... Um, you know, committing elderly abuse against Anthony Hopkins is fucking terrible, but yeah, it's, it's really almost, it's almost hard. It's hard to attach a butt to that, but it's like, um, I think about when I, I used to work with dogs. Um, I was in a basement with like 30 dogs and they would start barking and I would like yell at the dogs. I never heard a dog or anything like that, but like, I would like yell, <laughs> like basically <laughs> barking <laughs> at the dogs, just yelling, Hey, yeah, yeah. Hey, Hey, just yelling at them. I would lose my patience Mm. and it made me think that this is probably how people who work with uh people in any in any way whether you're uh, a nurse or working with like the mentally ill working with the elderly I feel like this is probably uh, a contributing factor to why police are awful (laughs) um is like if it's your job to work with people and people are difficult, you see them as an obstacle of getting through your day. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. don't see them as a person. You see them as an obstacle. Um, and so I feel like a lot of the frustrations that these characters feel dealing with Anthony Hopkins is kind of, it kind of uh, reflects that. Like they, this Anthony Hopkins has become an obstacle between them and living what they can see to be a normal life. Um, them and feeling it com- comfort, I guess. Yeah. And you saying that just makes me think of one thing in this one detail in this movie that I think is sort of poignant to that point or key, well, that, that ties into that point is the meal that Anne keeps making for Anthony is chicken. Mm-hmm. And she like, basically every time there, there's, there's a conversation about food, she's like, I'm gonna make you some chicken. You like chicken. Right. And I was just like, give this guy some variety or something like, you know, this, this he guy is remember. like, yeah, he, he, he like doesn't remember. You know, that's like his favorite thing. But I, I felt like it, it felt more like leaning towards 
Like you're just, it's like a, like in a pet kind of territory where you're just getting the same food every single time. There's no mm-hmm. thought in it. It's just like, just come home, throw the chicken in the oven. And it, it just felt like there was not a lot of compassion in that. And so I, I, maybe that's what I was sort of getting yeah. into that detail. A, a compassion gets worn down and it becomes a, yeah. na- a matter of what can I do to make today a normal day? Um, what can I make today? What can I do to make today an easy day? Mm-hmm. If today's yeah. not an easy day, um, you know, Anthony Hopkins is the one standing in the way of that. Um, yeah, and it's like they're this like talk of them going on trips or like and yeah, moving having to, to Paris, cancel. and then like yeah, then and then yeah, when the the husband snaps, I, like, I did not like that dude. He's like yeah, it's knocking down glasses Be- of wine. And I was like, this is not gonna end well. He's gonna get stuck in the room alone with him and do something self medicating. Um, yeah, because yeah, like we never yeah with the husband we never get any sense that at one point he was normal, <laughs> at one hmm. point he wasn't a shithead. Yeah, like it's always. He's always been someone who has been fed up, um, and I and maybe that's a maybe the the movie would have been stronger if at one point we did get like a sympathetic husband, because um, mm-hmm. yeah, it does feel kind of it. I I never felt convinced totally that I I never totally understood why he got to the extreme of like actually physically abusing Anthony. Yeah, um, I mean, like a couple like a. Uh... A move, or sorry, like a vacation to Paris is not enough yeah. to go. But like when they were framing it as like they were going to uproot themselves and completely leave the country, I was like, maybe if there's more like career and money and social stuff attached to it, you know, it's like he wants to have like a nice shiny life in Paris, and he has this perfect thing, and you know, maybe I, well, that. But I'm not going to justify him fucking crossing yeah. that line, though. <laughs> yeah, you can't justify it, but it's like. Yeah. I think I think for me, what helps me understand it is seeing that that shot we get of Anne imagining strangling her own father. Yeah, yeah like yeah. it's like this this character that we do have more sympathy for and that we do have more of an understanding of. Knowing the, uh, she hasn't been pushed to that limit, but she's she's thought about it, mm, and yeah. uh, so so there is this emotional con- context for how someone can get to that point. Um, we never see the husband get to that point. He's just at that point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, seeing seeing Anne's fantasy helps, I, I, I think, provide the information needed to understand how something would, a person would crescendo into that, I guess. Um, totally. Uh, yeah, and that moment absolutely caught me off guard because I, for a brief moment, I was like, is this movie going to take a very dark turn and, and like turn into in like murder mystery no. territory or something like that when she's just like <laughs> on him over the bed i like just like, hopped out of my chair for a brief moment I was like holy shit like please don't do this but yeah luckily he doesn't go into that territory but yeah i'm still <clears throat> yeah devastated by the ending and it really um, yeah it was a dark horse for me this one really took me by surprise yeah. really happy i watched it i don't think i would have watched it in any other context in the, in the, yeah same <laughs> Yeah. Um, like even knowing it was an aunt nominated, I think this would have been one that I would have skipped. I've I've skipped plenty of nominated movies, but um, oh yeah, totally. Um, a couple other scenes that I wanted to highlight. There's mm. a moment where Anthony Hopkins is struggling to put on a sweatshirt or sweater, and yeah. Anne comes and helps him. And then he turns to her and says, "Anne, thank you for everything." And like I'm getting emotional just talking about this, <laughs> um, because it's like. It feels like 
there's a moment of lucidity there where he understands what she's been put through and he understands mm. that he's been forgetting things. And so he recognizes her contributions. He recognizes the care she's providing him and he thanks her for yeah. it. But then it's also like, so that's how I felt initially. But then afterwards I was questioning myself and it's like, what if he's just thankful in that moment? And that's what I want to see. I want to see this lucidity, but he's just as, kind of lost as he is any other time um good point yeah yeah i don't know and i think that ties into like the ambiguity of just what happens at the end because there's no really way to tell if he's you know is where he is at that you know like i yeah he is an unreliable narrator so like Mm -hmm. him ending up nicely inside of this and like you know this nursing home might not be how it happened and so yeah i think yeah, a lot of the way that he sort of reflects his emotion is really interesting because there are some moments where I'm like, yeah, he is lucid. There's the scene where he overhears them arguing about him and he like walks in and they start to have dinner. They like they sort of like set it aside. But as the conversation goes, they start arguing and he gets yeah. up and walks away. And in that moment, I was like, yeah, he's good. Like he's like lucid enough to like notice like when they are having an argument over some shit and he doesn't want to be involved in it. But then it also it retracts that when he walks back into the scene and it starts over and it makes yeah. you question the reality of all of it happening, you know, in what order at all. So, yeah, yeah just <laughs> It's, it's fucking really, really It's so great. smart. It's so <laughs> yeah. smartly constructed of just, like, pl- like at, by the time this movie ended, I was like, that was the longest one hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> I've, yeah. like, because it's so repetitious, but it it's, has to be repetitious to mm-hmm. communicate, like, what this character is going through. Um, yeah. But it's so, yeah, it's so fucking clever. Like, uh, Yeah, know. and this is the one, like, I watched this one last, and it was just, like, I think... I was sort of already primed for some emotion from Minari, and then I was let, let down by the trial of Chicago Seven. Then I was completely my entire heart was with Anthony for this movie, and so when he when he's, he gives the line like, "I feel like I as if I'm losing my leaves," was just that yeah, yeah. that wording was just nice so well done, and and it's yeah, trip, yeah. Shout out to Anthony Hopkins for being able to really draw the most out of the script and find fantastic little beats and moments and just. Yeah, that's something that you can really only tap into when you're 70 years into this into this profession and you're like unlocking levels of, I don't know, just emotion that other actors won't see. And so yeah, just fantastic. And I think he I think he does deserve to win the the trophy. So I would not be mad if he walked away with it. Yeah. Uh so as a podcast, we've watched five of these nominees. Have you watched additional ones? Did you watch Meg? I have not, but I've seen, as far as uh, best actor is concerned, I've seen everything else. Okay. Um, But but as far as best picture, did you see No Man Land or Promising Woman? Not yet. Okay. So the next three are total blind spots for us then. Yeah. Um, So of the ones we've seen, what is, what do you, what do you think takes the trophy so far for best picture? For best picture, uh, I think... Uh, so I think what will take the what, what I think. Okay, we'll okay. Win. Two, so two, so it's two <laughs> questions. What do you think takes the trophy versus what should it take take the trophy? I guess. So I think Judas and the Black Messiah should win, but okay. I think that Minari will win. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, 
I would like Judas and the Black Messiah to win because I would hope that Hollywood always learns the wrong lessons. <laughs> and I yeah. hope the lesson they learn is we got to make more stories like this and we end up with good movies um, or at least important movies. Um, I don't, I, I think for me, Sound of Metal, it's either Sound of Metal. Now the father is, I, yeah. I walked away from the father not being super impressed, but then I just kept thinking about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sound of Metal to me though feels like it feels like a classic quality movie. Like it feels like um I think I think I brought it up when we talked about it. I was like this is like the bicycle thief or something where it's just like a very simple story that is done very very well. Um Yeah. Great so, performances, great sound design. So like the the things it does that are, it flexes the movie thing well, but it's also yeah, it's just, it's very concise. Yeah. So I think I'm mostly rooting for that. Um but That's yeah, fair. I don't yeah, I I don't I don't think it'll be Minari. Uh, Minari's good, but I think it sinks a little too much into melodrama towards the end. For sure. The well, my reasoning is, I believe we're in a position where the Academy Awards is going to like award one of these movies in an attempt to course correct for yeah. some mistake, particularly Green Book. And so, what oh, I think boy. is going to happen. <laughs> And also, it better not be trial of Chicago 7. Yeah, no, it's not. I I don't, I really hope that's not the case. And I don't think that's the case because it's not a very strong movie compared to these other ones. But what I think what will happen is in response to the Golden Globe things as well, there's a good chance that Minari will win this. And also building off the momentum of um, Parasite winning last year. And so I. I I would not be surprised if, Minari but I could were... see them. I could see them being well. Parasite won last year, so we don't have to award another true. Asian movie. That is know? so true. Yeah, which um, is uh, yeah. we gotta spread the wealth around. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, and I actually I just watched Ma Rainey's Black Bottom this morning because I was really curious about Chadwick Boseman's performance in comparison to Anthony Hopkins. And like I say, yeah, that movie. Is not a, a very strong movie, but I think it has some very, very, very good performances. Yeah. Um, going back to Sound of Metal, though, that is like, I mean, we talk about like, um, gosh, what's the, I don't know the politically correct term for like people with disabilities. They're not otherly abled, otherly abled people. Is that what it is? I don't know. But like, yeah, I don't know. That's. For the yeah, debt, like, have the deaf had much representation? And I guess Sally Hawkins won in uh for sound. Uh, I almost said the sound of water, for the, the shape, sh- of, shape water. of water. Yeah, uh, but that's I, a good point. Yeah. I've also heard that her sign language was terrible in that movie. Hmm. Damn, I don't know. Yeah, I think Sound of Metal definitely does a good job of doing depicting that as well. I don't know. Yeah, it's it. It, it could be literally anyone's game. I think. There's you can make arguments for a lot of these movies winning for particular reasons. Yeah. The same with Best Actor. Best Actor is stacked. Like Riz Ahmed, Chadwick Boseman, Anthony Hopkins, Gary Oldman, and Stephen Young. It's like I would be happy with any of those people winning. Although I haven't, we haven't seen Mank. We can't say that. <laughs> True. I. 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 Yeah. I. I. Just I like Gary Oldman. Steve, so like, yeah, Stephen Young <laughs> would be fucking rad if he won. Yeah. I don't. I don't think he gives a better performance than Anthony Hopkins in The Father. I know. But, uh, yeah. But yeah, I love Stephen Young. So. Totally. Um. Should we do what have you been watching lately? I think we got time. Yeah. Let's get into it. Um. So what have you been watching lately? <laughs> so I've been watching quite a bit of things. I think the movie I'm going to give a shout out to is 
Belly. So DMX passed oh, away yeah, uh, yeah. this past like week, and yeah, and DMX like had like some some movies that you know like some action movies like Cradle to the Grave and Romeo Must Die. Oh, I don't, I've not seen those movies, but. I can definitely stand by Belly. Belly is definitely like a classic and worth watching. It has an iconic opening scene of him and Nas walking into this nightclub, and they're basically robbing this nightclub. And they have like these like white eye contacts oh, on. Nice. So you've, yeah. you've probably seen this opening scene. I've seen and, yeah. and so, the opening. Yeah, and it's just <laughs> yeah, it's like super indulgent. But that movie is really great because it's about it's one of like the few like movies about drug dealers like setting that's that life aside and ascending to something better and so that movie people love to talk about that opening scene but they don't like to talk about dmx converting to religion at the in the third act of that movie and and mm-hmm. leaving all of that shit behind and then people don't like to talk about nas wanting to take his wife and daughter to, or wife and son to africa and so there's some really beautiful themes in that movie and i highly highly recommend it because it's one of those one-of-a-kind hood movies that's like super gangster as fuck it's it's like you know a lot of b's and n's get those around so if you're a little sensitive to those kind of words my audience you know be forewarned but it is fantastic it's worth a watch that was hype williams right yeah yeah um yeah yeah, i haven't seen belly i've heard a lot about it i've had people tell me like you gotta watch belly (laughs) Um, yeah yeah, i haven't gotten around i'm familiar with the uh the opening though yeah and yeah, I know I'm that like, they watch they watch Gummo in that movie at one point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. Which I haven't seen yet. Like my Harmony Korine is like I need to go back and get on that. So Gummo is like Gummo's the movie that got me in the film. I feel like. Yeah, you like are really into it. So yeah, I was uh, yeah, I was like thirteen, I think, when I saw it. But um, uh, that's awesome. What have you been watching this week? This this week I rewatched After Hours. <laughs> okay. Uh, um. And yeah, I mean, we got a whole podcast about it if you want to hear about <laughs> it. But uh, it's a fucking great movie, man. Like, I love that movie. Um, I I wish Griffin Dunn did more stuff. I, I wish I saw him as a leading man of more things. He's great. And um, well, I guess before we run out of like time and steam, uh, did you watch uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Because I thought this last episode was really really good. <laughs> um, go ahead, because I'm already I'm struggling to remember, but I did I did watch it. Yes. Okay, this is an episode where I think they just straight up ups the stakes a lot. Like, uh, fake Cap, like his homie dies oh, in that yeah. fight really suddenly, and I thought that was like a really good moment. And him Although, going full evil. Let, and <laughs> before we get away from from the new Cap's friend dying, yeah. um, I found it super fucking weird that everyone just stops fighting when he dies. <laughs> I'm like, how, like the flag okay. smash? Why would the flag smashers <laughs> stop? Like, shouldn't they just tr- use this as an opportunity to kill the new Captain America? Yeah, and she, like, literally runs right by him, too. She, yeah. like, just, like, kind of sneaks right by The really? blocking on that is really odd. But I just, I appreciate, I think the, the setup was really good, and I just like how sudden it felt. And then going the step further of having the guy just fully Beheaded. do the shield <laughs> moment. Like, killing the guy, like, in, in the street in front of everybody. I, like, yeah. it, it literally, like, it kind of sobered me up, really. I was just like, okay, this show kind of really took a step up and i thought it was great it felt felt like it stepped into the boys territory or something like a little bit yeah and i've only watched one episode of the boys but oh, i thought God. that was way sillier dude you gotta watch the boys i've only watched the first season i haven't watched the second season but that was like one of those shows where like i binge watched the fuck out of that show like i watched okay. like the whole thing in like three days or something 
Okay, I've seen one episode in the cold open was Homelander having sex with the female villain and the title card showed up. And I was like, okay, okay I, I think I understand what's happening in this show. Yeah. And so I, I guess I appreciate Disney because, you know, it's Disney, so it's not going to get quite yeah. like that. But this episode was pretty dark. And For like, Disney, know, yeah. The, like the funeral and like them like trying to hold him back outside and he just like sort of storms in and, you know like yeah i i just really like him as a villain and i'm i'm this show is really surprising me i'm surprised i'm liking it as much as i am so just yeah just i think it's definitely show. i've definitely warmed to it since the beginning mm. um at the beginning i had complaints about like the chemistry between the falcon and the winter soldier um mm-hmm. i wasn't totally buying it but i appreciate it when it's just these are just two guys two serious dudes trying to solve problems um yeah. oh also yeah. like the wakandan warriors showing up the really i'm into oh, that oh yeah we like, had that great yeah. fight scene yeah 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 and then like him getting stuck with the spear yeah just like all right it's like okay i'm into it you guys are you're hitting my fanboy buttons <laughs> so something i thought about this last episode that i've never thought about regarding Captain America's vibranium shield. We're getting into serious nerd territory. Uh, (laughs) No one should be having this discussion. (laughs) Um, But it's like the whole point of vibranium is that it absorbs impact, right? Yes. So if it absorbs impact, how can it bounce around? Uh, That's a good point. Well, I, I thought it was certain types or like a certain like a permutation of vibranium. And or it's like, also like if he's hitting like, people with it, shouldn't it just not hurt? Because <laughs> it's absorbing yeah, it's, on the impact. Was what you're referring to Black Panther's suit that has the ability to absorb things and send stuff back, or is it just like vibranium has that? Vibranium has the metal, yeah. I believe that's the oh, property of it. Huh, interesting. Hmm. I, I think it might be like a molecular thing where there's this like, you know, people being able to manipulate it in other ways that other characters can't. Maybe like... I think, like, science is a big thing in the world of Marvel, and so I wouldn't put him past it to be like, okay, there's characters in this world that know how to manipulate this thing and use it in ways that others don't. But as far as it behaving in certain ways in certain certain situations, I don't know. That's a little like, more. We also, that's a little more. We always smaller. get, like, Captain America, like, jumping off something and then landing on his shield, and it absorbs mm-hmm. the impact, so he's fine. Yeah. Oh, and gotcha, then it's gotcha. like, yeah, yeah, so yeah. if he punches someone with it, Shouldn't it, like, not hurt? <laughs> sure, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> That's a really good question. Yeah, it's like, if you go back, you should do, like, a recut every time <laughs> Cap is, like, falling. And, like, just recut. He just bounces back. Up with, like, <laughs> he just bounces that or, or, like, more momentum going in the opposite direction. And all the characters just, like, look up into the sky. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a great nerd question. God, I don't know. <laughs> all right. So... That's that's I think that's all for me. <laughs> yeah, I think that wraps it up. Yeah, I'm just happy we had some time to to touch on that. Yeah. So yeah, this is episode 35 of Vague Zone. Next, we're going to be talking about Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, and, and Mank. Mank. And so after that, it's going to be the Academy Awards. And so yeah, yeah, join us on that next one. So we'll know who won. Yeah. And then we'll probably watch something stupid like Mortal Kombat. Or something. <laughs> Yeah, switch yeah to we'll something. go from like the greatest movies of the year to some bullshit. <laughs> Tom and Jerry. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah, this has been episode 35. If you'd like to contact us, you can email us at vaguezonepod at gmail.com. If you'd like to tweet at us, we're on Twitter all the time, every day. We're never stopping. You can tweet at us at vaguezone. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, or feedback, let us know. We'd love to hear it. Dive into the vague zone with us. This has been episode 35. I'm Thomas. And I'm Daniel. 
catch you on the next one.